Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. And I want you to understand something. We battle not with flesh and blood, but we do battle with principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Satanic battle. And one of the greatest worldwide satanic battles there is right now is to destroy the family in so many different directions. But I look at that promise leading into Jesus Christ and God is telling me, we're not going under, we're going over. There is going to be a miracle touch on families by the power of God. And maybe, you, maybe you're here today and, and you need your family restored, but we need not only your family, but we need the institution, the way God invented the family. Amen. And I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to share something in this message today, but we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle, but greater is he that's in us than anything that can come against us. So not only for here, for America, for all our family watching around the world right now, let's pray a great awakening and a restoration of the power of God on the family unit the way God wants it to be. And maybe maybe the devil has gone in there and divided your family. I'm going to give you a message of hope today. We serve a miracle-working God. Amen. Lift your hands up. Father, we come before your throne. And Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can come before your throne of mercy, a throne of grace, a throne of miracles, a throne of power. And Father, we ask you to release that miracle power on families, family units around the world. Let there be healing. Let there be restoration. Let there be peace. Let there be light. And Father, we give you praise in advance for the miracle awakening that's coming on families around the world. We give you all the praise and all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody believes in miracles, shouted. Give the Lord a clap offering. God bless you. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Father's Day. So first off, happy Father's Day. I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, chapter 21. Let me encourage something. And I know we live in a day and age in which uh, you can read your Bible on the phone and all that. Can I encourage you and, and even those of you that are at home, bring your Bible to church, open it up, get yourself a pen, And when we're teaching something, if God stirs something in you, write that down so that you don't lose it a week from now, that you can go back and look at that and say, that's what God is teaching. I I, I just, you know, uh, my Bible is 
I've written in my Bible so much. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, look at my Bible. I never write in it. And I said, because you never open it. <laughs> Let me encourage you to do that because a lot of things we teach, you, you need to hold on to it. Amen. And you need to be able to reference back to it. You know, we were discussing what to teach on Father's Day. And at first, I told the staff, I said, I think I'm going to teach on breaking generational curses, like father, like son. But as I prayed about it, I really feel like God said, let's not focus on generational curses. Let's focus on generational blessings. That as fathers and grandfathers and uncles and just men of releasing that anointing of being a man of God in the world. Now, most people know my testimony that before I gave my life to the Lord, I was a drug addict and I was a drug dealer, uh, uh, lived in Columbia, South America. I was in in the import-export business of all natural substances. And that's something that, you know, is a well-known testimony. But the other part of my testimony is that even worse than my drug addiction was I had a real anger problem. I mean, really bad, bad anger problem. I was a very violent person, a very angry young man. And... uh when I gave my life to the Lord and got filled with the Holy Spirit and learned about breaking generational curses because my grandfather was an angry man, my father was an angry man, and it's not just men. How many know that there are, how many are married to an angry woman? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But how many know, how many know women can have an anger problem too? And uh, I've got to tell you, it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God that, you know, they say in the world, once a junkie, always a junkie. But uh, the word says, who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. We can break that. Amen. But I think the greatest miracle was that God delivered me from anger. It really takes a lot now to get me angry. There's not much that'll make me mad. Now, now, if you drive slow in the fast lane, there is no excuse for that nonsense. Maybe you don't have somewhere to go, but we do. It really, God really did. A lot of people would say, you know, oh, you pastor, you weren't really like that. No, I really was. And I'm very proud that the Lord changed me and took that anger away. Well, let me say it this way. God didn't remove the anger. He just sanctified it. Amen? He, he turned it into not being angry with people, but being angry with the devil. But the reason I want to teach this message is because I have in the last, what is it, almost two years now, a year and a half, I have found myself getting angry again getting angry about trying to steal our children, getting angry that you're going to teach our children this smut. You're going, getting angry about going to the 
gas pump and paying $5.49 for diesel. Now, I do want to have a bumper sticker that said, if you voted for Biden, you owe me $4 a gallon. And God keeps good books. But if you're like me, some of these things that are going on in the world, it makes you angry. Right? And a scripture, I've taught on it before, but I've never felt I really had an answer, to be honest with you, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, 26, where God says, be angry and sin not. And then he goes on in the next verse, if you remember, and he says, give no place to the devil. So I'll be honest with you, I've always... You know, I've, I've found things that are good with that, but I've never really found an answer. Be angry and sin not, because anger is an emotion that God has given us. Even Jesus was angry. We see him going into the temple, and he's braiding a whip, and he runs the money changers out because they're ripping God's people off as they come into the house of God, in the, into the presence of God. And so anger is not something, you know, I, I, and I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time with men who don't act like men. I have a hard time with preachers that don't act like men. You know, all of a sudden we're saved and we're very feminine. I am not feminine. I am a man. And God didn't take that away when I got saved. But the other day, and this is this this scripture has been on me for months: be angry and sin not. And I heard a message by somebody I really admire his teaching. And I told Tiz today. I said I, I really felt a little bit bad about stealing some of this preacher's message until I turned him on this morning and he had stolen my message. (laughs) He was teaching on generational curses, which we'll see here, but he couldn't get him to say it. He says, like father, like son, it passes from generation to generation. And he goes, we call this generational, and he goes, issues. (laughs) He couldn't get himself to say curses. But I I, I really feel like God has shown me a way to be angry. We need to be angry. We need to be angry at what's going on in the world. But we need to be angry and not sin and open the door for the devil to attack our lives. Amen. Read with me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. And keep your Bible open because we're going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to break it down uh, as, we, as we go along. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab the Samaria, in Samaria. Now, let me give you a little history here. Ahab is the wickedest king in the history of Israel. He's married to a woman that the Bible says is one of the worst women. You ever hear somebody called a Jezebel? 
Well, she's a real Jezebel. Well, that's where this comes from. So you have Ahab, who is the worst king in the history of Israel, uh, Israel, and he's married to Jezebel, who is an unbelievably wicked woman. And so here's the story that Ahab sees a parcel of land, a little bitty section of land next to his palace, and he decides that he wants this parcel of land from Naboth. So let's read again. And it came to pass that after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth in money. Now, at first, this seems very innocent. The king comes to Naboth and says, oh, I want that land. I want, to, I want to turn it into a vegetable garden. So it can't be much land. And he says, let me buy it from you. If you don't want to sell it, then let me give you a piece of land that is better. And it sounds like, man, this is a good deal for Naboth. But listen to the response, verse 3. And Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now, Naboth wasn't, he wasn't holding out for a better deal. You know, one of the things when you go to Israel, you go into a shop and you go into the old city and you go in the shop and you say, uh, how much for this? And the, the Arab guy goes, uh, $20. Well, the, as soon as he says $20, you know it's worth 10 right? It's just the way things are done. It's, I mean, it, you know, it's the way, it's the way things are done. So if you know it's worth 10, you offer him seven and eventually you get down to somewhere, you know, and you're negotiating. Naboth is not doing this. Naboth says, no, I can't sell it. God forbid that I sell something that I inherited from my father. He's simply obeying the voice of God. Look at Numbers chapter 36, verse 7. It says, So in the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands, tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So Naboth is not holding out for a better deal. And he said, well, I'm going to get more money out of this or I'm going to get more land out of it. He's saying, I can't. God will not allow me to do this. Now, if you remember last week, remember last week when the children of Israel were coming out of the wilderness and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And God said, I want you to count every one of these people. And we said one of the main reasons is, is because they were still getting over after 40 years that slave mentality that you don't count. And God was saying, I want you to let everyone know you count. Because every one of us has a part in what God is doing. If I don't do my part, 
That part doesn't get done. You know, we shared last week, if Bill Trujillo hadn't walked up to me and witnessed to me about Jesus Christ as a drug addict, where would I be today? Bill had a mission, and I thank God every day that Bill obeyed that voice of God and walked up to me and told me Jesus Christ was who I was looking for. Amen? So every one of us counts. You're not just a, a part of a crowd. You, 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 you have a mission. You have, uh, you have something to do. The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. Every one of us are jointly fit together as the body of Christ. Every one of you, every one of us is important to the kingdom of God. Amen. So we talked about that last week, but there's another part of that, that I didn't, uh, bring up last week because it really didn't fit in that part of the message is that when God counted everyone, he then divided the land according to families and every family was given a portion of land. That's what Naboth is talking about according to his father's name. Now it's strange thing, but in, in Judaism, you're a Jew by your mother, but you're, a, you're given your inheritance by the name of your father. You know, we know that Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary, but the word of God says that he would be born out of the lineage of David, and David was out of his father, Joseph. And so the reason why God came and counted everyone is yes to say every one of us counts, but he was also saying, I want the world to know that the Jewish people know who their fathers are. Now, in Egypt, that didn't happen because the Egyptians were very immoral and a woman might sleep with this guy and 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 this guy. And, this guy. and so there was no assurance among the pagans who the father of the child was. I like what Rabbi Lappin wrote in one of his books. The destruction of a nation is seen when we don't know who our fathers are. Say Amen. Now, there's a hidden message in that. You don't sleep with someone you're not married to. Oh, I need a better amen than that. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what, what the movies say. I don't care how cool it looks. I don't care about the TV shows, teenage moms. You are not to sleep with someone that you're not married to. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, something that my son Luke brought up is an amazing thing. We talk about um, Genesis 3. God says, I will bless those who bless Israel. And we call this the Avos, the Avol, the Father. The blessing of all blessings starts when we bless Israel. But Luke brought up something when we were having Shabbat at our house the other night. And he said, you know what the first blessing is before we do anything? Now, the first blessing is when we bless Israel, God blesses us. But you know what the Avos, the father of all blessings are? God says he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And so you cannot be fruitful. Adam and Eve cannot be fruitful. And I don't mean to be 
childish on this, but you can't be fruitful if it's Adam and Steve. Now, I'm not being mean to anybody. I'm just telling you the very first blessing that God says that you don't even have to do anything is that when a man and a woman come together and they're fruitful and they multiply. Folks, the family unit is the foundation of the world. And Satan is doing everything he can to destroy that foundation, a mother and a father raising those children together. You know, there's a there's a um, uh, there, there's an understanding in Hebrew, and it's called kol ha'vakot volt, and it means good job, and it's especially said to fathers, because the devil makes it especially nowadays. The devil makes it very difficult to know what a father is supposed to be. We're a warrior, but we're tender. We're fighters, but we're compassionate. We're, we're, we're to be men, but we got to be able to cry. You know, all we have to do is follow the word of God and be what God says to be. You know, I just throw, I'll throw a side note in. It really doesn't have to do with this message, but I'll throw a side note in. You know, ancient Jewish wisdom gives fathers instructions how to raise their children, especially how to raise their sons. They said, first, make sure they're circumcised. They're part of the covenant, all right? You de- we, we don't necessarily have to do that physically, although it's not a bad idea to do it, but we're saying we're dedicating our children to the kingdom of God. We're dedicating our children to the word of God, the covenants of God. It says, teach your child to love God. It says, teach your child to love the word of God. Teach your child to worship. Teach your child to work hard and do a business. Teach your child to um, um, be thankful and respectful. And the last one is crazy. It says, teach your child to swim. That's what it says. And I go, okay, I don't, uh, I, I got to look that one up. And it says in this crazy world, you've got to teach your child how to stay afloat. You've got to teach your child how to stay alive. And I'll give you it easy. Follow the word of God. What Mary said to, to the servants when Jesus did his first miracle, whatever he tells you to do, do it. There may be a way that seems right to us, but God's way is always the best way. Somebody say amen. Teach your child that and they'll survive. Amen. So Naboth is not scamming for a better deal. He's simply obeying the word of God. He's obeying what God said. You are not to sell your family inheritance. Now watch this. Go to verse 4. And so Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, because the word of Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him, for he said, I will not give you. Now watch this as a man. Men, watch this as a man. I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab, he laid down on his bed, turned his face away, and would eat no food. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. You okay? I'm fine. What a sissy. What a wimp. It says because he didn't get what he wanted, 
He laid on his bed. Are you hungry? I'm not hungry. And he pouted. Men ought not pout. Oh, come on. I need, I need, some, I need some baritone amens on that. Men ought not pout. What a childish man this king of Israel was. He laid on his bed, turned his face. Why are you sitting in there? I just want to be alone. Now look at verse 5 and 6. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him. Now, this really shows who wears the pants in the family, right? Now, I want you to know, in my family, I wear the pants. Tis picks them out. (laughs) But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite. And he said, and I said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard. And he answered, no. I will not give you my vineyard. I can't even imagine it. Now watch this. Look at the next verse in verse 7. So here's a man not acting like a man. You know, sometimes we just got to cowboy up. Right? Come on. So, but watch this. Verse 7. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. You're the king. There's a term we men use, but I can't use it, right? You're the king over Israel. Arise and eat food and let your heart be cheerful. But she knew her husband was a wimp. And she said, I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. In other words, get up, eat, dry your eyes, quit crying. Sit back as usual. I will take care of it. This is a family out of order. Come on, give me an amen. She says, I'm going to take care of it. Now, once again, and I'm not going to take time to read the scripture. We need to realize that the Bible says she is a wicked, wicked, wicked person. Okay. Now look at verse 8. Here's her plans. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Sealed them with his seal. So she's, she's scamming. Sealed them with the king's seal and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. Now watch this. Watch how, watch how evil these people are. And she wrote in the letter saying, it's kind of like a, it kind of reminds me of a fixed election. I don't know. It's just, just, kind, of, just kind of similar, just kind of similar. 
And she wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor amongst the people. Seat and seat two men, scoundrels. In other words, I think these guys were making up something like coercion with Russia. I don't know. Seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then, now listen to this woman's plan. And no, no, no moral compass here. You know, I, I, I'm telling you something, folks. Don't trust liars. Don't trust liars. Amen. You know, Teddy Roosevelt, the president, was one time on his ranch. And he's looking, sitting next to his foreman on his horse. And he said, man, it looks like we've got an extra lot of calves in our herd this year. And the foreman said, yeah. He said, they wandered in. There were no brands on them. So I put your brand on them. You got three times as many calves. Teddy Roosevelt said, you're fired. He goes, fired? I just increased your herd. And he said, a man who will steal for me is a man who will steal from me. Remember that, right? Look at what it says here. See two men, scoundrels. Look at the guy. See two men, scoundrels. You know, I meant to look up the word scoundrel in Hebrew. I'll find that for next week. It's got to be an interesting word. See two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him. False witness to lie. You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die for a vegetable garden that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who were inhabitants of his city did as Jezebel had sent them to the, had sent to them as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And the two men, the scoundrels, came in, sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Now, all Naboth did was obey God. But it didn't matter. And see, that's what liars do. Liars will take care of themselves at your expense. Remember that. Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Now, when I look at this kind of thing, that old man in me rises up and says, and I hope it does in you, God, you ought to do something about this. How can you let these evil people do something like that and get away with it? So it looks like they're getting away, but let's read the rest of the story. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 14. Then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel 
heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, the wimpy king, arise, take possession of the vineyard, Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was that when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Aboth got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now, not only have they killed Naboth, not only have they lied about him, not only have they stolen now his land, but they've also left Naboth, his wife and children, without anything. See, that's what liars do. That's what evil people do. And remember, if they will steal for you, they will steal from you. There is no moral compass here. So we look at this, and uh, let me ask you something. Does that, does that make you mad? If, if all of a sudden, would it make you mad if somebody came in and stole your land or stole your property or, or, or stole your, and you know, well, we're just, we're just Christians, so we sing kumbaya. Listen to me. There is a thing called righteous indignation. Right? But look what happens now in verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise and go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. One thing we see in this lesson right here is God doesn't miss anything. It looks like Jezebel's getting away with it. It looks like Naboth is getting away with it. And they think they're home free. He's down in his new vineyard celebrating. Doesn't matter that a man is dead. Doesn't matter that they stole the land. Doesn't matter that a widow and orphans are without any way to make an income. They're celebrating that they got it. That he has the whole kingdom. But he wants this little thing. That's a human nature thing. That's a human nature thing. God said to Adam, you can have all of this, but this one tree is mine. And Satan will come in and put something evil in someone's heart and say, you know what? You need that one thing. This is why the Bible says that we're not to covet. We're going we're gonna to get into that in a moment, but I want to show you where this judgment is going. Verse 21, the man of God says, behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. In other words, generational 
blessing on your family and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. In other words, he's going to lose his authority, right? I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger made Israel and made Israel sin. Now, let me stop right there. The prophet is speaking for God. And God says, what you thought you got away with, you're not getting away with. Because what you have done, God says, has made me angry has made me angry. We do not want to make God angry. You ever read, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. I hucklize it this way, and he's the baddest dude in the valley. If you're going to be on the side of one or the other, be on God's side. This is why he said, I place before all of us life and death, blessings or curses. And let me help you. Choose life. Choosing life is being on God's side. Now watch this. You have made me angry and made Israel sin. You not only sin, but you got others involved with it. And that's what, you ever hear the saying, misery loves company? Okay, they, they want to pull you in on it too. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Now, this is is not a slap on the fingers. The dogs will eat Jezebel by the wall. It's the same place that they had Naboth killed. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab, and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Man, I'm telling you what. They thought they were getting away with it. But my God, our God keeps good books. Now, this is not, oh, you know, I, I did a little sin or something. This is, I murdered, I stole, I bankrupt. I ruined a family. I got others involved with this. This is not a life thing. But but what God is telling us here, and wait till you see how it ends. What God is telling us here, I see everything. My eyes run to and fro. Now watch what goes on from here. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because of Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, let me stop right there. How many remember the Holocaust? Remember the Holocaust? And the Allied forces won. And so all of these Nazis that murdered Jews and civilians that murdered Jews were called into trial. Here's where their defense came. We were only following orders. And I can almost see this with, because he said not only, God says not only 
Are the dogs going to eat Jezebel and Ahab, but all of you that went along with them? All of you that went along with them, they're going to eat you too. And they couldn't go, well, we were just following orders. Listen, there is a time that we obey what people tell us to obey, but not if it's against the word of God and the laws of God. We are to be God pleasers and not man pleasers. Amen. Now, I'm sure they thought there was something in for them. Here's the queen. Here's the king. They're asking to do this. Man, we'll do this even though it's, it's, it's lying, false testimony, even though, and, but, you know, they're, in, they're up there in charge, and we're going to get some kind of blessing out of there. Listen, there's only one who is in charge, and he sits on the throne, and his name is Almighty God. He's the only one that we have to please. Amen. It gets better. It gets better. But there's no one like Ahab, all right? Uh, Verse 26. And he behaved very abominably in the following of idols, (coughs) according to all the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so it was when Ahab heard those words. Now, here's the part that I have a hard time with. I have really hard, I got to be honest with you. God's ways are not my ways. You know, How many know it's a good thing we're not God? Right? Don't look at me. It's a good thing you're not God either. Because I have a hard time with this. Look what it says. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and laid in sackcloth and went about mourning. He heard of the judgment of God, and he repents. I don't want him to repent. Do you? I want lightning. I want earthquake. I want to see hungry dogs. He's gone from laying on his bed a sissy to hearing the judgment of God and he repents, puts on sackcloth fast and went about mourning for what he had done. Look at the next verse. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, now here's our God. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me because he has humbled himself before me I will not bring the calamity in his name, but in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Now, see, if, if I was Elijah and the Lord said, look at Ahab has repented. I'm going to let him go. I'd go, wait, Lord, come on, man. Use this guy as an example. Look at what he did to this family. Look at what he did to the nation. Look at what, look at the price of our gasoline. Bumper sticker, I didn't vote for him. Don't you feel that way? But see, this is the amazing thing about God. I remember hearing a, a thing years and years ago when I first got saved. And it went something like this. There is no sin so small, it doesn't need to be forgiven. 
and no sin so large that it can't be forgiven. You know, when I first got saved, you know, I, I've told you the story. When I first got saved and I walked in and long hair and earrings and, you know, needle marks up and down my arms and stuff. Nobody in the church, or, you know, it's, and it was a good church. It became my church. And they all, oh, God, send us souls. And, and m- myself and a friend came, and I'm sure they're going, we didn't mean like that, Lord. And I got saved, and I'm mean, gloriously saved. And for the next three months, every, every altar call, every altar call, I came down to give my life to the Lord again. Finally, my pastor said, you know, Larry, when you do it the first time, it's done. I said, you don't know who I am. I, I've got to hit this thing several times. And he said, no, it's done. And, and that's the same thing with you. Maybe you think, well, pastor, I'd like to know the Lord. I'd like to have forgiveness, but you don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but I'll bet you it's not as bad as Ahab. And the moment Ahab said, I repent, God said, I forgive you. Amen. See, that's why it's good that I'm not God, because I'd have said, no, nope, too late. <laughs> who let the dogs out? Who? Who? <laughs> right? Wouldn't you feel that way? Look where it goes from here. Said, see, Ahab is humbling himself before me because he humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his days. Look at the next part, though. But in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. In other words, the generational curse. I'm going to forgive him, but I'm going to bring generational curse. Can I throw a little side note in here? This is where a lot of Christians miss it. In the Old Testament, you could have your sins forgiven, but the curse passes on to the third and the fourth generation. But the prophet said, but when the Messiah comes, no longer will it be said, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Because Jesus didn't just die for our sin, he died on the cross, and cursed is he who hangs on a tree. We need to realize not only will he show mercy and grace and forgive us, but we can rise up through the name and the blood of Jesus and break every family curse, every generational curse, so our children don't have to pay for what we did. Somebody say, grace, grace. Now look at this, look at this. So he says, the judgment will come upon your children. The judgment will come on your son. The last of the, let me just throw this in. The last of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. The word covet in Hebrew is the word chamad, and it means you will do anything to get what you want. That's what it means. It means it says you will steal, you will destroy, you will, uh, you'll do anything. You'll do anything to get that. And it says, well, let me just read it for you. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. It doesn't mean you look at your neighbor and go, you know what? Someday God's going to give me a house like that. It just doesn't mean you envy that and you'll do anything to destroy him because you don't have it. I need an amen. Amen. 
Have you ever, now don't raise your hand. Have you ever been envious in the, how come he gets, how come she's got it? You know, somebody, somebody comes in the church and, you know, they drive up in a new car and, and it's wintertime and she may have a, a mink stole on and you look at that and go, mm-hmm. Must not be tithing. Or maybe they are. And that's why they got a new car. Come on, ladies, I'm helping you. And a diamond ring and a mink stole. It, 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 the word covenant means you'll destroy that person because you don't have it, hopefully hoping you get it. But let me give you a great leadership tool. You never get to the top stepping on somebody else. Never. It, it'll never. Covetousness will destroy you. You can look at somebody, and ancient Jewish wisdom says whenever you see or hear of a blessing in somebody's life, what does it mean? See, our God's not on a budget. He can go, well, I can get them a nice house, but I don't have enough to get you a nice house. No, our God owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns the gold and the silver. And we are joint heirs to all that with Christ Jesus. Amen. We can be motivated. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You now shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his uh, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You don't look at it and go, you know what? I'm going to do anything to get that. Even if I have to destroy him, I- I'm going to destroy that person's reputation because I want what they have, but it won't destroy them as much as it'll destroy you. And we see this in Ahab and Jezebel. Amen. Now watch this. When I read this, that Ahab repented and God said, I forgive him. I got mad at Ahab. I said, you know, this is not right. But then I thought of another king that Israel had that didn't covet his neighbor's vineyard, but he covered his friend's wife, Bathsheba, and killed her husband. And yet we give David so much praise and glory And rightfully so, he made a mistake. He repented. And our own Messiah comes out of his lineage. So it goes to show us that it's one thing to be angry, but it's not our job to decide what the judgment is because we don't really see what God is doing down the line. What we do see here is God is always looking for the chance to forgive. He's always looking. You know, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, we're going to go be at walk into heaven and we're going to see people. We're going to go, how in the world did they get in here? But the thing you got to realize they're on the other side of the room going, how did they get in here? They're saying the same thing about us. I'm sure people, when I go to heaven, people are going to go, I knew that guy in high school. But that is the amazing mercy and grace of our Lord. That's why we, we, we leave the judgment to him. This is what Peter said. He said, I would that God said, I would that none would perish. None would perish, but all would come to repentance. Now, let me, let me close this in five minutes. Go with me over to 2 Kings 
chapter 9. And this is what really helped me. This is what really helped me to understand, number one, is that, yes, things ought to make us angry. But the judgment, now, I'm not saying you don't stand up for yourself, you don't protect yourself. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you don't take the end and put it into your own hands. Amen? Can I be real honest as you turn to Second Kings? While I'm working on this message this week, a guy came in, Tiz brought a guy in to repair our refrigerator. And the guy said, oh, yeah, that'll be $2,100 I need to, to buy the part. Guess what? Hello? Hello? We got scammed for 21. When Tiz told me, I said, give me his number. And everything on me wanted to revert back to South St. Louis. You know what I mean? I'll teach you what laying on of the hands is. You may have spent the money, but I'm taking it out on flesh. Now, I did call him. And said, I'm not, I got, we got your, your license, we got your thumping. I said, I'm not going to let that. But I didn't cuss him out. I did in my heart. Oh, don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. Just his mercy is fresh every morning. But the old man would have went and handled it himself. But when you do that, you give place to the devil... And then you get in more trouble than Ahab or Jezebel. Right? Look at what he says here. First, Second Kings chapter 9. Look at verse 29. In the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Uzziah had become king over Judah. The son is now king. And when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she put paint on her eyes, she's also a harlot, and adorned her head and looked through the window. Now, I've got to admit, this seems kind of harsh, right? But I'm going to explain this in, a minute, in, in, in the next four minutes. It looks kind of harsh, but God will show us something here. She looked through the window, then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. And then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he'd gone in and ate and drank, he goes in to have dinner. Then he said, nah, all right, go on out. See to this accursed woman and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull the feet, and the palms of her hands. Kumbaya, my Lord. Now let me share something with you. We are, we are right now 
with Jesus in a period of amazing grace. Before, it was amazing judgment. Missed the rapture, it's back to judgment. We need to take advantage of the amazing grace of God and serve him with all of our heart right now. Amen? Look at chapter 10, verse 10. Now know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remain in the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests, these were false, these were false priests, until he left him none remaining. Remember I started off with, I have a hard time with this, Lord. I don't understand it. Be angry and sin not. Then I realized, you know, I don't know what, if I was in charge, what I would have done to Ahab and Jezreel, uh, Jezebel in Jezreel, but it probably wouldn't have been this bad. <laughs> and I'm reminded of the scripture in Romans 12 where God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. So is it natural for us to be angry? It's not natural not to be angry. I'm angry that they think they can come in to our kindergartners and first graders and second graders and tell them you may be a woman in a man's body. I'm ang- if that doesn't anger you, you need to come see me. You need to come see me. Doesn't anger you that they're trying to bank, people are trying to bankrupt you, and yet... Our own oil fields won't, aren't allowed to produce oil and we're sending a million dollars a day or whatever it is to Russia. And while Russia's attacked, that doesn't anger you. You need, you need to get saved again. But here's what I discovered out of this. It ought to anger us and we ought to stand up. We ought to stand up like Naboth did and said, you know, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do anything that God does not want me to do. Right? We ought to be like, like Elijah. And say, you know what? I, you may be king, but thus saith the Lord. We need a fire of boldness in every Christian again to stand up and be. Not worried about, well, what's in it for me? You know, I want to get along with everybody and everything. You know, sometimes we're not going to get along with everybody. But we always need to get along with God and stand up for what he says. Let me close with this. And this is what really, what really helped me. I realize that I have a right to be angry, but I leave the judgment in the hands of God. I read an article, and I I was trying to find it, and I couldn't find it, but this man had written a book how he said, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I can't serve a God that looks so angry reading stories like this, reading stories about the judgment of God in the Old Testament. He said, I just can't serve a God that can be that angry until another country invaded my country. And I watched them as a young man 
kill 200,000 of my countrymen, men, women, and children, just because they wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. I watched them kill my mother, and I watched them kill my father. I watched them kill my brothers and sisters. And then I realized I was wrong in saying I can't serve a God who is angry. He said, I am now a Christian because I can't serve a God who doesn't get angry about seeing this kind of injustice. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We need men and women to stand up and say, I will not be bought off. I will not be silent, but also to know we're putting it in the hands of God. Does that make sense to you? If you believe that, give the Lord a clap offering. Let's stand all over the building. I want to pray in a special prayer for all men. And I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. No one looking around. No wives, no daughters, no granddaughters. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I'm not even going to have you raise your hand. You say, Pastor, I have a problem with anger, but I want to sanctify that. Because there's women that, that have the problem with anger also. But I want to sanctify that. God doesn't take that. He sanctifies it. And he puts a righteous indignation where we'll stand up with boldness for what is right. But I want to pray a special prayer this, this morning over every male that you will be the man that God wants you to be. Raise your children up in the ways they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And you need to be a, you want to say, Pastor, I want to be a man that shows my children how to love God, shows my children, my grandchildren, how to serve God. My children see me loving their mother. My children see me loving my God. My children see me praying. They see me giving. They see me helping other people. They see me that I'm not like Ahab, just concerned about myself, but I am concerned about everyone around me. Everyone look at me just for a moment. You're not a king of Israel, but men, you are a king of your family. And may you be the kind of king that the king of kings is to us. Full of strength, full of compassion, full of boldness, full of love, and full of mercy. Lift your hands up, everyone, all over the building. Say this out loud. Father, right now, in the world we live, we need a spirit of boldness and compassion. I receive on myself on my family, on my future, that anointing to be bold in the things of God, to stand up for what's right. I know I battle not with flesh and blood, but I do battle with the enemy. And I declare greater is he that's in me than anything that can come against me. Now look at me. In when last week we talked about numbers, and God says, You count. And the response of the Jewish people is, God, we not only count to you, but you can count on us. May God count on us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
especially in the days that we live in. Happy, happy, happy Father's Day. Give the Lord a clap offering.